Chapter Three of Queechy by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen. Chapter Three: You Amuse Me, and I'll Amuse You. Dingle or bushy dell of this wild wood, and every bosky bourne from side to side, my daily walks and ancient neighborhood. Milton. Fleda and her grandfather had but just risen from a tolerably early breakfast the next morning, when the two young sportsmen entered the room. "'Ha!' said Mr. Ringgan. "'I declare you're stirring betimes. Come five or six miles this morning already. Well, that's the stuff to make sportsmen of. Off for the woodcock, eh? And I was to go with you and show you the ground. I declare I don't know how in the world I can do it this morning. I'm so very stiff.' ten times as bad as I was yesterday. I had a window open in my room last night. I expect that must have been the cause. I don't see how I could have overlooked it. But I never gave it a thought. Till this morning, I found myself so lame, I could hardly get out of bed. I am very sorry, upon my word. I am very sorry we must lose your company, sir, said the young Englishman, and for such a cause. But as to the rest— I dare say your directions will guide us sufficiently. I don't know about that, said the old gentleman. It is pretty hard to steer by a chart that is only laid down in the imagination. I set out once to go in New York from one side of the city over into the other, and the first thing I knew I found myself traveling along half a mile out of town. I had to get in a stage and ride back and take a fresh start. Out at the west, they say when you are in the woods, you can tell which is north by the moss growing on that side of the trees. But if you're lost, you'll be pretty apt to find the moss grows on all sides of the trees. I couldn't make out any way marks at all, in such a labyrinth of brick corners. Well, let us see. If I tell you now, it is so easy to mistake one hill for another. Flutter, child, you put on your sunbonnet, and take these gentlemen back to the twenty-acre lot, and from there— you can tell em how to go, so I guess they won't mistake it. By no means, said Mr. Carleton. We cannot give her so much trouble. It would be buying our pleasure at much too dear a rate. Tut, tut, said the old gentleman. She thinks nothing of trouble, and the walk'll do her good. She'd like to be out all day, I believe, if she had any one to go along with. But I'm rather a stupid companion for such a spry little pair of feet. Fleda, look here. When they get to the lot, they can find their own way after that. You know where the place is, where your cousin Seth shot so many woodcock last year, over in Mr. Hurlbut's land. When you get to the big lot, you must tell these gentlemen to go straight over the hill, not Squire Thornton's hill, but mine, at the back of the lot. They must go straight over it till they come to cleared land on the other side. Then they must keep along by the edge of the wood to the right till they come to the brook. They must cross the brook and follow up the opposite bank, and they'll know the ground when they come to it. Or they don't deserve to. Do you understand? Now, run get your hat, for they ought to be off. Fleda went, but neither her step nor her look showed any great willingness to the business. I am sure, Mr. Ringgan, said Mr. Carleton, your little granddaughter has some reason for not wishing to take such a long walk this morning. Pray, allow us to go without her. Foo-foo, said the old gentleman. 
she wants to go i guess she's scared of the guns said cynthy happy to get a chance to edge in a word before such a company it's that ails her well well she must get used to it said mr ringgan here she is fleda had it in her mind to whisper to him a word of hope about mr jolly but she recollected that it was at best an uncertain hope and that if her grandfather's thoughts were off the subject it was better to leave them so she only kissed him for good-bye and went out with the two gentlemen as they took up their guns mr carleton caught the timid shunning glance her eye gave at them do you dislike the company of these noisy friends of ours miss fleda said he fleda hesitated and finally she said she didn't much like to be very near them when they were fired put that fear away said he for they shall keep a respectful silence so long as they have the honour to be in your company if the woodcock come about us as tame as quails our guns shall not be provoked to say anything till your departure gives them leave fleda smiled her thanks and set forward privately much confirmed in her opinion that mr carleton had handsome eyes at a little distance from the house fleda left the meadow for an old apple orchard at the left lying on a steep side hill up this hillside they toiled and then found themselves on a ridge of table-land stretching back for some distance along the edge of a little valley or bottom of perfectly flat smooth pasture ground the valley was very narrow only divided into fields by fences running from side to side the table-land might be a hundred feet or more above the level of the bottom with a steep face towards it a little way back from the edge the woods began between them and the brow of the hill the ground was smooth and green planted as if by art with flourishing young silver pines and once in a while a hemlock some standing in all their luxuriance alone and some in groups with now and then a smooth grey rock or large boulder stone which had somehow inexplicably stopped on the brow of the hill instead of rolling down into what as some former time no doubt was a bed of water all this open strip of the table-land might have stood with very little coaxing for a piece of gentleman's pleasure-ground on the opposite side of the little valley was a low rocky height covered with wood now in the splendour of varied red and green and purple and brown and gold between at their feet lay the soft quiet green meadow and off to the left beyond the far end of the valley was the glory of the autumn woods again softened in the distance a true october sky seemed to pervade all mildly blue transparently pure with that clearness of atmosphere that no other month gives us a sky that would have conferred a patent of nobility on any landscape the scene was certainly contracted and nowise remarkable in any of its features but nature had shaken out all her colours over the land and drawn a veil from the sky and breathed through the woods and over the hillside the very breath of health enjoyment and vigour when they were about over against the middle of the valley mr carleton suddenly made a pause and stood for some minutes silently looking his two companions came to a halt on either side of him one not a little pleased the other a little impatient beautiful mr carleton said at length yes said fleda gravely i think it's a pretty place 
I like it up here. We shan't catch many woodcock among these pines, said young Rossiter. I wonder, said Mr. Carleton presently, how any one should have called these melancholy days. Who has? said Rossiter. A countryman of yours, said his friend, glancing at him. If he had been a countryman of mine, there would have been less marvel. But here is none of the sadness of decay, none of the withering. If the tokens of old age are seen at all, it is in the majestic honors that crowns a glorious life, the graces of a matured and ripened character. This has nothing in common, Rossiter, with those dull moralists who are always dinning decay and death into one's ears. This speaks of life. Instead of freezing all one's hopes and energies, it quickens the pulse with the desire to do. The saddest of the year. Bryant was wrong. Bryant? Oh, said young Rossiter. I didn't know who you were speaking of. I believe now I think of it. He was writing of a somewhat later time of the year. I don't know how all this will look in November. I think it is very pleasant in November, said little Fleda sedately. Don't you know Bryant's Death of the Flowers, Rossiter? said his friend, smiling. What have you been doing all your life? Not studying the fine arts at West Point, Mr. Carleton. Then sit down here and let me mend that place in your education. Sit down and I'll give you something better than Woodcock. You keep a game bag for thoughts, don't you? Mr. Rossiter wished Mr. Carleton didn't. But he sat down, however, and listened with an unedified face, while his friend, more to please himself, it must be confessed, than for any other reason, and perhaps with half a notion to try Fleda, repeated the beautiful words. He presently saw they were not lost upon one of his hearers. She listened intently. "'It is very pretty,' said Rossiter, when he had done. I believe I have seen it before somewhere. There is no smoky light today, said Fleda. No, said Mr. Carleton, smiling to himself. Nothing but that could improve the beauty of all this, Miss Fleda. I like it better as it is, said Fleda. I am surprised at that, said young Rossiter. I thought you lived on smoke. There was nothing in the words, but the tone was not exactly polite. Fleda granted him neither smile nor look. "'I am glad you like it up here,' she went on gravely, doing the honours of the place. "'I came this way because we shouldn't have so many fences to climb.' "'You are the best little guide possible, and I have no doubt would always lead one the right way,' said Mr. Carleton. Again the same gentle, kind, appreciating look. Fleda unconsciously drew a step nearer. There was a certain undefined confidence established between them. "'There's a little brook down there in spring,' said she, pointing to a small grass-grown watercourse in the meadow, hardly discernible from the height. "'But there's no water in it now. It runs quite full for a while after the snow breaks up, but it dries away by June or July.' "'What are those trees so beautifully tinged with red and orange, "'down there by the fence in the meadow?' "'I'm not woodsman enough to inform you,' replied Rossiter. "'Those are maples,' said Fleda. "'Sugar maples. "'The one all orange is a hickory.' "'How do you know?' said Mr. Carleton, turning to her. 
by your wit as a fairy i know by the colour said fleda modestly and by the shape too fairy said mr rossiter if you have any of the stuff about you i wish you would knock this gentleman over the head with your wand and put the spirit of moving into him he is going to sit dreaming here all day not at all said his friend springing up i am ready for you but i want other game than woodcock just now i confess they walked along in silence and had near reached the extremity of the table-land which towards the end of the valley descended into ground of a lower level covered with woods when mr carleton who was a little ahead was startled by fleda's voice exclaiming in a tone of distress oh not the robins and turning about perceived mr rossiter standing still with levelled gun and just in the act to shoot fleda had stopped her ears in the same instant mr carleton had thrown up the gun demanding of rossiter with a singular change of expression what he meant mean said the young gentleman meeting with an astonished face the indignant fire of his companion's eyes why i mean not to meddle with other people's guns mr carleton what do you mean nothing but to protect myself protect yourself said rossiter heeding as the other cooled from what in the name of wonder only from having my word blown away by your fire said carleton smiling come rossiter recollect yourself remember our compact compact one isn't bound to keep compacts with unearthly personages said rossiter half sulkily and half angrily and besides i made none mr carleton turned from him very coolly and walked on they left the table-land and the wood entered the valley again and passed through a large orchard the last of the succession of fields which stretched along it beyond this orchard the ground rose suddenly and on the steep hillside there had been a large plantation of indian corn the corn was harvested but the ground was still covered with numberless little stacks of the corn stalks halfway up the hill stood three ancient chestnut trees veritable patriarchs of the nut tribe they were and respected and esteemed as patriarchs should be there are no dropping nuts to-day either said fleda to whom the sight of her forest friends in the distance probably suggested the thought for she had not spoken for some time i suppose there hasn't been frost enough yet why you have a good memory fairy said mr carleton do you give the nuts leave to fall of themselves oh sometimes grandpa and i go nutting said the little girl getting lightly over the fence but we haven't been this year then it is a pleasure to come yet no said fleda quietly the trees near the house have been stripped and the only other nice place there is for us to go to mr diddenhover let the shakers have the nuts i shan't get any this year live in the woods and not get any nuts that won't do fairy here are some fine chestnuts we are coming to what would hinder our reaping a good harvest from them i don't think there will be any on them said fleda mr diddenhover has been here lately with the men getting in the coin i guess they have cleared the trees who is mr diddenhover he is grandpa's man why didn't you bid mr diddenhover let the nuts alone oh he wouldn't mind if he was told said fleda he does everything just as he has a mind to and nobody can hinder him yes they've cleared the trees i thought so 
"'Don't you know of any other trees that are out of this Mr. Diddenhover's way?' "'Yes,' said Fleda. "'I know a place where there used to be beautiful hickory trees, and some chestnuts too, I think. But it is too far off for Grandpa, and I couldn't go there alone.' "'This is the twenty-acre lot,' said she, looking, though she did not say it, "'here I leave you.' "'I'm glad to hear it,' said her cousin. "'Now, give us our directions, Fleda, and thank you for your services.' "'Stop a minute,' said Mr. Carleton. "'What if you and I should try to find those same hickory trees, Miss Fleda? "'Will you take me with you, or is it too long a walk?' "'For me? Oh, no,' said Fleda, with a face of awakening hope. "'But,' she added timidly, "'you were going a-shooting, sir.' "'What on earth are you thinking of, Carleton?' said young Rossiter. "'Let the nuts and Fleda alone do.' "'By your leave, Mr. Rossiter,' said Carleton. "'My murderous intents have all left me. Miss Fleda, I suppose your wand has been playing about me, and I should like nothing better than to go with you over the hills this morning. I have been nutting many a time in my own woods at home, and I want to try it for once in the new world. Will you take me?' "'Oh, thank you, sir,' said Fleda. "'But we have passed the turning a long way. "'We must go back ever so far the same way we came "'to get to the place where we turn off to go up the mountain.' "'I don't wish for a prettier way, "'if it isn't so fair as to tire you, Fairy.' "'Oh, it won't tire me,' said Fleda, overjoyed. "'Carleton!' exclaimed young Rossiter. "'Can you be so absurd?' "'Lose this splendid day for the woodcock "'when we may not have another while we are here.' "'You are not a true sportsman, Mr. Rossiter,' "'said the other coolly, "'or you would know what it is to have some sympathy "'with the sports of others. "'But you will have the day for the woodcock "'and bring us home a great many, I hope. "'Miss Fleda, suppose you give this impatient young gentleman "'his orders and dispatch him.' "'I thought you were more of a sportsman.' said the vexed West Pointer, or your sympathy would be with me. "'I tell you the sporting mania was never stronger on me,' said the other carelessly. "'Something less than a rifle, however, will do to bring down the game I am after. "'We will rendezvous at the little village over yonder, unless I go home before you, which I think is more probable. Au revoir.' With careless gracefulness he saluted his disconcerted companion, who moved off with ungraceful displeasure. Fleda and Mr. Carleton then began to follow back the road they had come, in the highest good humour both. Her sparkling face told him with even greater emphasis than her words, "'I am so much obliged to you, sir.' "'How you go over fences,' said he, "'like a spirit as you are.' "'Oh, I have climbed a great many,' said Fleda, accepting, however, again with that infallible instinct— the help which she did not need. "'I shall be so glad to get some nuts, for I thought I wasn't going to have any this year, and it is so pleasant to have them to crack in the long winter evenings.' "'You must find them long evenings indeed, I should think.' "'Oh, no, we don't,' said Fleda. "'I didn't mean they were long in that way. Grandpa cracks the nuts, and I pick them out, and he tells me stories, and then, you know, he likes to go to bed early.' The evenings never seem long. But you are not always cracking nuts. Oh, no, to be sure not. But there are plenty of other pleasant things to do. 
I dare say Grandpa would have bought some nuts, but I had a great deal rather have those we get ourselves, and then the fun of getting them besides is the best part. Fleda was tramping over the ground at a furious rate. How many do you count upon securing today? said Mr. Carleton gravely. I don't know, said Fleda, with a business face. There are a good many trees, and fine large ones, and I don't believe anybody has found them out. They are so far out of the way. There ought to be a good parcel of nuts. But, said Mr. Carleton, with perfect gravity, if we should be lucky enough to find a supply for your winter store, it would be too much for you and me to bring home, Miss Fleda, unless you have a broomstick in the service of fairydom. A broomstick? said Fleda. Yes. Did you never hear of the man who had a broomstick that would fetch pails of water at his bidding? No, said Fleda, laughing. What a convenient broomstick! I wish we had one. But I know what I can do, Mr. Carleton. If there should be too many nuts for us to bring home, I can take Cynthia afterwards and get the rest of them. Cynthia and I could go. Grandpa couldn't, even if he was as well as usual, for the trees are all in a hollow away over on the other side of the mountain. It's a beautiful place. Well, said Mr. Carleton, smiling curiously to himself, in that case I shall be even of more use than I had hoped. But shan't we want a basket, Miss Fleda? Yes, indeed, said Fleda, a good large one. I'm going to run down to the house for it as soon as we get to the turning-off place. If you'll be so good as to sit down and wait for me, sir, I won't be long after it. No, said he, I will walk with you, and leave my gun in safe quarters. You had better not travel so fast, or I am afraid you will never reach the hickory-trees. Fleda smiled, and said there was no danger, but she slackened her pace, and they proceeded at a more reasonable rate till they reached the house. Mr. Carleton would not go in, placing his gun in an outer shelter. Fleda dashed into the kitchen, and after a few minutes' delay came out again with a huge basket which Mr. Carleton took from her without suffering his inward amusement to reach his face, and a little tin pail which she kept under her own guardianship. In vain Mr. Carleton offered to take it with the basket, or even put it in the basket, where he showed her it would go very well. It must not go anywhere but in Fleda's own hand. Fleda was in restless haste till they had passed over the already twice-trodden ground and entered upon the mountain road, it was hardly a road. In some places a beaten track was visible. In others, Mr. Carleton wondered how his little companion found her way, where nothing but fresh fallen leaves and scattered rocks and stones could be seen, covering the whole surface. But her foot never faltered, her eye read waymarks where his saw none. She went on, he did not doubt, unerringly, over the leaf-strewn and rock-strewn way, over ridge and hollow, with a steady light swiftness, that he could not help admiring. Once they came to a little brawling stream of spring water, hardly three inches deep anywhere, but making quite a wide bed for itself, in its bright way to the lowlands. Mr. Carleton was considering how he should contrive to get his little guide over it, in safety, when quick, over the little round stones, which lifted their heads above the surface of the water, on the tips of her toes, Fleda tripped across before he had done thinking about it. He told her he had no doubt now that she was a fairy, and had powers of walking that, 
did not belong to other people. Fleda laughed, and on her little demure figure went, picking out the way, always with that little tin pail hanging at her side, like Mr. Carleton busied himself in finding out similes for her. It wasn't very easy. For a long distance their way was through a thick woodland, clear of underbrush, and very pleasant walking, but permitting no look at the distant country. They wound about, now uphill and now down, till at last they began to ascend in good earnest. The road became better marked, and Mr. Carleton came up with his guide again. Both were obliged to walk more slowly. He had overcome a good deal of Fleda's reserve, and she talked to him now quite freely, without, however, losing the grace of a most exquisite modesty in everything she said or did. "'What do you suppose I have been amusing myself with all this while, Miss Fleda?' said he, after walking for some time alongside of her in silence. "'I have been trying to fancy what you looked like as you travelled on before me, with that mysterious tin pail.' "'Well, what did I look like?' said Fleda, laughing. "'Little Red Riding Hood, the first thing, carrying her grandmother and the pot of butter.' "'Ah, but I haven't got any butter in this, as it happens.' said Fleda. "'And I hope you are not anything like the wolf, Mr. Carleton.' "'I hope not,' said he, laughing. "'Well, then I thought you might be one of those young ladies the fairy stories tell of, who set out over the world to seek their fortune. That might hold, you know, a little provision to last for a day or two till you found it.' "'No,' said Fleda. "'I should never go to seek my fortune.' "'Why not, pray?' I don't think I should find it any the sooner. Mr. Carleton looked at her, and could not make up his mind, whether or not she spoke wittingly. Well, but after all, are we not seeking our fortune? said he. We are doing something very like it. Now up here on the mountain top, perhaps we shall find only empty trees, perhaps trees with a harvest of nuts on them. Yes, but that wouldn't be like finding a fortune, said Fleda. If we were to come to a great heap of nuts, all picked out ready for us to carry away, that would be a fortune. But now, if we find the trees full, we have got to knock them down, and gather them up and shuck them. Make our own fortunes, eh? said Mr. Carleton, smiling. Well, people do say those are the sweetest nuts. I don't know how it may be. Ah, that is fine. What an atmosphere! They had reached a height of the mountain that cleared them a view, and over the tops of the trees they looked abroad to a very wide extent of country, undulating with hill and vale, hill and valley alike far below at their feet. Fair and rich, the gently swelling hills, one beyond another, in the patchwork dress of their many-coloured fields, the gay hues of the woodland softened, and melted into a rich autumn glow and far away, beyond even where this glow was, sobered and lost in the distance, the faint blue line of the Catskill, faint but clear and distinct, through the transparent air. Such a sky, of such etherealized purity, as if made for spirits to travel in, and tempting them to rise and free themselves from the soil, and the stillness, like nature's hand laid upon the soul, bidding it think. In view of all the vastness and grandeur, 
man's littleness does bespeak itself and yet for every one the voice of the scene is not more humbling to pride than rousing to all that is really noble and strong in character not only what thou art but what thou mayest be what place thou oughtest to fill what work thou hast to do in this magnificent world a very extended landscape however genial is also sober in its effect on the mind one seems to emerge from the narrowness of individual existence and take a larger view of life as well as of creation perhaps mr carleton felt it so for after his first expression of pleasure he stood silently and gravely looking for a long time little fleda's eye loved it too but she looked her fill and then sat down on a stone to await her companion's pleasure glancing now and then up at his face which gave her no encouragement to interrupt him it was gravely and even gloomily thoughtful he stood so long without stirring that poor fleda began to have sad thoughts of the possibility of gathering all the nuts from the hickory trees and she heaved a very gentle sigh once or twice but the dark blue eyes which she with reason admired remained fixed on the broad scene below as if it were reading or trying to read there a difficult lesson and when at last he turned and began to go up the path again he kept the same face and went moodily swinging his arm up and down as if in disturbed thought fleda was too happy to be moving to care for her companion's silence she would have compounded for no more conversation so they might but reach the nut-trees but before they had got quite so far mr carleton broke the silence speaking in precisely the same tone and manner he had used the last time look here fairy said he pointing to a small heap of chestnut burrs piled at the foot of a tree here's a little fortune for you already that's a squirrel said fleda looking at the place very attentively there has been nobody else here he has put them together ready to be carried off to his nest we'll save him that trouble said mr carleton little rascal he's a didenhover in miniature oh no said fleda he has as good a right to the nuts i am sure as we have poor fellow mr carleton mr carleton was throwing the nuts into the basket at the anxious and undecided tone in which his name was pronounced he stopped and looked up at a very wistful face mightn't we leave these nuts till we come back if we find the trees over here full we shan't want them and if we don't these would be only a handful and the squirrel would be disappointed said mr carleton smiling you would rather we should leave them to him fleda said yes with a relieved face and mr carleton still smiling emptied his basket of the few nuts he had put in and they walked on in a hollow rather a deep hollow behind the crest of the hill as fleda had said they came at last to a noble group of large hickory trees with one or two chestnuts standing in attendance on the outskirts and also as fleda had said or hoped the place was so far from convenient access that nobody had visited them they were thick hung with fruit if the spirit of the game had been wanting or failing in mr carleton it must have roused again into full life at the joyous heartiness of fleda's exclamations at any rate no boy could have taken to the business better 
he cut, with her permission, a stout long pole in the woods, and swinging himself lightly into one of the trees, showed that he was a master in the art of whipping them. Fleda was delighted, but not surprised, for from the first moment of Mr. Carleton's proposing to go with her, she had been privately sure that he would not prove an inactive or inefficient ally. By whatever slight tokens she might read this, in whatsoever fine characters of the eye, or speech or manner, she knew it, and knew it just as well before they reached the hickory trees, as she did afterwards. When one of the trees was well stripped, the young gentleman mounted into another, while Fleda set herself to hull and gather up the nuts under the one first beaten. She could make but little headway, however, compared with her companion. The nuts fell a great deal faster than she could put them in her basket. The trees were heavy laden, and Mr. Carleton seemed determined to have the whole crop. From the second tree he went to the third. Fleda was bewildered with her happiness. This was doing business in style. She tried to calculate what the whole quantity would be, but it went beyond her. One basketful would not take it, nor two, not three. It wouldn't begin to, Fleda said to herself. She went on hulling and gathering with all possible industry. After the third tree was finished, Mr. Carleton threw down his pole, and resting himself upon the ground at the foot, told Fleda he would wait a few moments before he began again. Fleda thereupon left off her work too, and going for her little tin pail, presently offered it to him, temptingly stocked with pieces of apple pie. When he had smilingly taken one, she next brought him a sheet of white paper, with slices of young cheese. "'No, thank you,' said he. "'Cheese is very good with apple pie,' said Fleda competently. "'Is it?' said he, laughing. "'Well, upon that, I think you would teach me a good many things, Miss Fleda, if I were to stay here long enough.' "'I wish you would stay and try, sir,' said Fleda, who did not know exactly what to make of the shade of seriousness which crossed his face. It was gone almost instantly. "'I think anything is better eaten out in the woods than it is at home,' said Fleda. "'Well, I don't know,' said her friend. "'I have no doubt that is the case with cheese and apple pie, and especially under hickory trees, which one has been contending with pretty sharply. If a touch of your wand, fairy, could transform one of these shells into a goblet of Lafitte or Amontillado, we should have nothing to wish for.' Amontillado was Hebrew to Fleda, but Goblet was intelligible. "'I am sorry,' she said. "'I don't know where there is any spring up here, but we shall come to one going down the mountain. "'Do you know where all the springs are?' "'No, not all, I suppose,' said Fleda. "'But I know a good many. I have gone about through the woods so much, and I always look for springs.' "'And who roams about through the woods with you?' "'Oh, nobody but Grandpa,' said Fleda. "'He used to be out with me a great deal, "'but he can't go much now, this year or two. "'Don't you go to school?' "'Oh, no,' said Fleda, smiling. "'Then your grandfather teaches you at home?' "'No,' said Fleda. "'Father used to teach me. "'Grandpa doesn't teach me much.' "'What do you do with yourself all day long?' "'Oh, plenty of things,' said Fleda, smiling again. "'I read and talk to Grandpa, and go riding, and do a great many things.' 
"'Has your home always been here, Fairy?' said Mr. Carleton, after a few minutes' pause. Fleda said, "'No, sir,' and there stopped, and then, seeming to think that politeness called upon her to say more, she added, "'I have lived with Grandpa ever since Father left me here, when he was going away among the Indians. I used to be always with him before.' "'And how long ago is that?' "'It is four years, sir. More, I believe.' He was sick when he came back, and we never went away from Queechy again. Mr. Carleton looked again silently at the child, who had given him these pieces of information with a singular grave propriety of manner, and even, as it were, reluctantly. "'And what do you read, fairy?' he said, after a minute. "'Stories of fairyland?' "'No,' said Fleda. "'I haven't any.' We haven't a great many books. There are only a few up in the cupboard, and the encyclopedia. Father had some books, but they are locked up in a chest. But there is a great deal in the encyclopedia. The encyclopedia, said Mr. Carleton. What do you read in that? What can you find to like there? I like all about the insects and birds and animals, and about flowers, and lives of people and curious things. There are a great many in it. "'And what are the other books in the cupboard which you read?' "'There's Quentin Durward,' said Fleda, "'and Rob Roy, and Guy Mannering in two little bits of volumes, "'and the Knickerbocker, and the Christian's Magazine, "'and an odd volume of Red Gauntlet, and the Beauties of Scotland.' "'And have you read all these, Miss Fleda?' said her companion, "'commanding his countenance with difficulty. "'I haven't read quite all of the Christian's Magazine,' nor all of the beauties of scotland all the rest oh yes said fleda and two or three times over and there are three great red volumes besides robertson's history of something i believe i haven't read that either and which of them all do you like the best i don't know said fleda i don't know but i like to read the encyclopedia as well as any of them and then i have the newspapers to read too "'I think, Miss Fleda,' said Mr. Carleton, a minute after, "'you had better let me take you with my mother over the sea "'when we go back again to Paris.' "'Why, sir, you know,' he said, half smiling, "'your aunt wants you, and has engaged my mother to bring you with her, if she can.' "'I know it,' said Fleda, "'but I'm not going.' "'It was spoken not rudely,' but in a tone of quiet determination. "'Aren't you too tired, sir?' said she gently, when she saw Mr. Carleton preparing to launch into the remaining hickory-trees. "'Not I,' said he. "'I am not tired till I have done, fairy. And besides, cheese is workingmen's fare, you know, isn't it?' "'No,' said Fleda gravely. "'I don't think it is.' "'What, then?' said Mr. Carleton stopping as he was about to spring into the tree and looking at her with a face of comical amusement it isn't what our men live on said fleda demurely eyeing the fallen nuts with a head full of business they set both to work again with renewed energy and rested not till the treasures of the trees had been all brought to the ground and as large a portion of them as could be coaxed and shaken into Fleda's basket had been cleared from the holes and bestowed there, but there remained a vast quantity, 
these with a good deal of labour mr carleton and fleda gathered into a large heap in rather a sheltered place by the side of a rock and took what measures they might to conceal them this was entirely at fleda's insistence you and your maid cynthia will have to make a good many journeys miss fleda to get all these home unless you can muster a larger basket oh that's nothing said fleda it will be all fun i don't care how many times we have to come you are very good mr carleton do you think so said he i wish i did i wish you would make your wand rest on me fairy my wand said fleda yes you know your grandfather says you are a fairy and carry a wand what does he say that for miss fleda fleda said she supposed it was because he loved her so much but the rosy smile with which she said it would have let her hearer if he had needed enlightening far more into the secret than she was herself and if the simplicity in her face had not been equal to the wit mr carleton would never have ventured the look of admiration he bestowed on her he knew it was safe approbation she saw and it made her smile the rosier but the admiration was a step beyond her fleda could make nothing of it they descended the mountain now with a hasty step for the day was wearing well on at the spot where he had stood so long when they went up mr carleton paused again for a minute in mountain scenery every hour makes a change the sun was lower now the lights and shadows more strongly contrasted the sky of a yet calmer blue cool and clear towards the horizon the scene said still the same that it had said a few hours before with a touch of sadness it seemed to whisper all things have an end thy time may not be for ever do what thou wouldest do while ye have light believe in the light that ye may be children of the light whether mr carleton read it so or not he stood for a minute motionless and went down the mountain looking so grave that fleda did not venture to speak to him till they reached the neighbourhood of the spring what are you searching for miss fleda said her friend she was making a busy quest here and there by the side of the little stream i was looking to see if i could find a mullein leaf said fleda a mullein leaf what do you want it for i want it to make a drinking cup of said fleda her intent bright eyes peering keenly about in every direction a mullein leaf that is too rough one of these golden leaves what are they will do better won't it that is hickory said fleda no the mullein leaf is the best because it holds the water so nicely here it is and folding up one of the largest leaves into a most artistic-like cup she presented it to mr carleton for me was all that trouble said he i don't deserve it you wanted something sir said fleda the water is very cold and nice he stooped to the bright little stream and filled his rural goblet several times i never knew what it was to have a fairy for my cup-bearer before said he that was better than anything bordeaux or harris ever sent forth he seemed to have swallowed his seriousness or thrown it away with the mullein leaf it was quite gone this is the best spring in all grandpa's ground said fleda the water is as good as can be 
how came you to be such a wood and water spirit you must live out of doors do the trees ever talk to you i sometimes think they do to me i don't know i think i talk to them said fleda it's the same thing said her companion smiling such beautiful woods were you never in the country before in the fall sir not here in my own country often enough but the woods in england do not put on such a gay face miss fleda when they are going to be stripped of the summer dress they look sober upon it the leaves wither and grow brown and the woods have a dull russet colour your trees are true yankees they never say die why are the americans more obstinate than the english said fleda it is difficult to compare unknown quantities said mr carleton laughing and shaking his head i see you have good ears for the keynote of patriotism fleda looked a little hard at him but he did not explain and indeed they were hurrying along too much for talking leaping from stone to stone and running down the smooth orchard slope when they reached the last fence but a little way from the house fleda made a resolute pause mr carleton said she mr carleton put down the basket and looked in some surprise at the hesitating anxious little face that looked up at him won't you please not say anything to grandpa about my going away why not fairy said he kindly because i don't think i ought to go but may it not be possible said he that your grandfather can judge better in the matter than you can do no said fleda i don't think he can he would do anything he thought would be most for my happiness but it wouldn't be for my happiness she said with an unsteady lip i don't know what he would do if i went you think he would have no sunshine if your wand didn't touch him said mr carleton smiling no sir said fleda gravely i don't think that but won't you please mr carleton not to speak about it but are you sure he said sitting down on a stone hard by and taking one of her hands are you sure that you would not like to go with us i wish you would change your mind about it my mother will love you very much and i will take the especial charge of you till we give you to your aunt in paris if the wind blows a little too rough i will always put myself between it and you he added smiling fleda smiled faintly but immediately begged mr carleton not to say anything to put it into her grandfather's head it must be there already i think miss fleda but at any rate you know my mother must perform her promise to your aunt mrs rossiter and she would not do that without letting your grandfather know how glad she would be to take you fleda stood silent a moment and then with a touching look of waiting patience in her sweet face suffered mr carleton to help her over the fence and they went home to fleda's unspeakable surprise it was found to be past four o'clock and cynthia had supper ready mr ringan with great cordiality invited mr carleton to stay with them but he could not his mother would expect him to dinner where is your mother at montpool sir we have been to niagara and came this way on our return partly that my mother might fulfil the promise she made mrs rossiter to let you know sir with how much pleasure she will take charge 
of your little granddaughter and convey her to her friends in Paris, if you can think it best to let her go. Hm, she is very kind, said Mr. Ringan, with a look of grave and not unmoved consideration, which Fleda did not in the least like. How long will you stay at Montpool, sir? It might be several days, Mr. Carleton said. Hm, you have given up this day to Fleda, Mr. Carleton. Suppose you take tomorrow for the game, and come here and try our country fair when you have got through shooting, you and young Mr. Rossiter, and I'll think over this question, and let you know about it. Fleda was delighted to see that her friend accepted this invitation with apparent pleasure. You will be kind enough to give my respects to your mother, Mr. Ringan went on, and thanks for her kind offer. I may, perhaps, I don't know, avail myself of it. If anything should bring Mrs. Carleton this way, we should like to see her. I am glad to see my friends, he said, shaking the young gentleman's hand, as long as I have a house to ask them to. That will be for many years, I trust, said Mr. Carleton respectfully, struck with something in the old gentleman's manner. I don't know, sir, said Mr. Ringan, with again the dignified look of trouble. It may not be. I wish you good day, sir. End of chapter 3